Hello, this is Jenny Nichols, and this is Locals Share Green Action, a podcast where people share their stories about meaningful, planet-friendly work in their local communities. They share their past of green action and the ways they have applied their own talents, interests, and all types of green projects, jobs, businesses, volunteering, and careers. Today on our podcast, I'm speaking with a woman who has worked on projects in multiple countries to rebuild local economies and communities and restore cultural and biological diversity. I'm speaking with Anya Limbeck. Anya Lindbeck is the Associate Programs Director with Local Futures, an international nonprofit dedicated to renewing ecological, social, and spiritual well-being by shifting away from dependence on global monopolies and towards decentralized local and regional economies. Anya holds a Bachelor's of Science in Rural Resource Management and a Master's Degree in Agroforestry. She has worked with Local Futures on a number of projects since 1986, among others as coordinator of the UK Local Food Program, the International Alliance for Localization, and the International Economics of Happiness Conference Series. She is currently coordinating World Localization Day 2021. Fluent in Spanish, English, and Danish, she has been an articulate spokesperson for localization on several continents. Anya divides her time between a Mexican eco-village and a small island in the Danish Archipelago Island. She is a passionate food grower and is happiest with her hands in the soil. Welcome, Anya. Thank you, Jenny. Thanks for having me. Very excited about this. Yeah, so I'm so excited to speak with you and find out more about your path that led you to your work with Local Futures and projects in support of localization and the economies of happiness movement. So what planted the seeds for you to want to take some kind of green action initially? I think it went all the way back to me being a teenager. And um, uh, I... Uh, went with my family to to visit some some friends of friends in Spain, and they were uh, smallholders. Uh, I'd never been on a farm before, and it was a totally new world to me. And it was a bit like, um, you know, the film that was much later, The Matrix. It was a bit like stepping out of the Matrix and and realizing uh, what was important and what the world was made up of. So uh, prior to that, I'd always been thinking about, I wanted to be a librarian um, and because uh, I loved reading books. And then suddenly when I was there, I had this aha uh, moment where I thought, no, the most important thing, the thing we cannot do without is food. I want to be involved in food growing. And, and out of that came, I think a lifelong journey with uh, a lot of love for the land and and with a lot of care and concern, which has led to, well, to a whole life uh, of in this kind of area for both social and ecological justice and well-being. Excellent, excellent. So <clears throat> you studied agroforestry. Um, what was um, the aspect of forestry that integrated um, within that for you? Well, agroforestry is is base, basically a study of, of food production with uh, perennials, with with trees, and and it's from everything from alicot 
cropping to silver pastoral systems. And I, I decided on that after I had uh, uh, done uh, a degree in rural resource management, which was very much focused on organic production, because it's, uh, it's a way that you can restore degraded land, for example, uh, at the same time as producing food. It's also like agroforestry is an um, important component of many agroecological systems. That was sort of a next step for me. So what brought you to the localization movement um, with Local Futures? Well, early on, and that was perhaps even before I started studying, uh, but when I did my um, rural resource management uh, degree, my bachelor's degree, I focus on, on uh, local food production for local consumption. And I, it, it became clear to me, or it had become clear to me, that just focusing on how we produce the food, like without pesticides and caring for the soil, and at that time my focus was on organic, wasn't enough to solve the problems that we have created and uh, that we needed to look at the distribution system as well and that we had to look at scale and distance and also ownership which is what led me to become active proactive in in a local food movement excellent so were you working in a certain area what area of the of the world were you working in at that point at that time that point in time i was in the uk as a small story that uh, maybe can shed, shed some light on my path, at least, uh, and on the local foodmen, I was working with and studying, at the time, the first box scheme in the UK. I don't know if our listener knows what a box scheme is, but it's a kind of community-supported agriculture scheme with a farmer selling directly, in this case, to, to local consumers. And they, they were, these farmers had a, it was a small hole, they only had, I think it was seven hectares and three and a half of those hectares were for vegetable production, which they had been selling to, I think it was Sainsbury, which is a supermarket chain in the UK. And uh, they were organic producers, but they didn't get a fair profit. And uh, they were rather unhappy with that. They only earned like a few thousand at that time pounds a year. So they came up in, with this idea of a box scheme of selling directly to consumers. Uh, I mean, I think they were inspired by a German initiative, but they were the first in the UK. And they got help from a, a local Greenpeace organization to promote this and got in contact with local consumer, consumers and started to sell directly to them. They were actually selling to consumers within a, a radius of 10 miles. And I was comparing the farm from before and after selling to first a centralized market, a supermarket chain, and then to these uh, decentralized to local consumers. And it became so clear to me the benefits of that shift because they cut down like 50,000 um, miles a year and just transport from that small farm. They had a six-fold increase in, in their net profit and they became much more diverse from having like, I think it was 10 different 
cultivars, they went up to having 60. They had suddenly a huge support group with all these people that were receiving their box schemes and they you know, had a much stronger community and got help on busy days uh, sometimes. So there was a whole uh, range of benefits and that really spurred me on to, to work on lo localization, not just local food, but localization as, as a strategy for systemic change. So outside of local food, like you just mentioned, what are some of the other ways that you've seen localization being successfully integrated into uh, communities? Yeah, I mean, I would I would go just a step back to say that I do think that the local food movement is sort of leading the way in in other areas simply because food is a place where, well, a, a, it's a basic need and it's a place there where all of us can become active. We all need food, but other areas are like renewable energy, commu community-owned, decentralized renewable energy systems. Uh, it's local business and finance. And uh, in the US, you had one of the sort of primary leaders on this uh, ballet, in, it was called then, in, I think it was started in, in California, uh, the Business Alliance for Local Living Economies, also in more community-orientated social health and well-being projects. Excellent. So as the majority of national economies currently look towards producing and consuming as major sources of success, how do these more localized, um, successful communities measure their success? Yeah, I think it's more project-based because it's not like you have like a whole town or city that's totally focused on localization in every sing single sense. But I mean, you could measure the success as in uh, fairness, inclusiveness, in ecological well-being. So, but generally speaking, like you would be measuring the success on on a project base because mo most of these are, are sort of project based. So, in uh, local finance, it might be the you know the number of people shopping locally, the, the amount of produce bought from, from local producers and businesses, the, the distance that these uh, the produce travels, the amount of money that stays in the community rather than seeping out, and the general feeling of well-being and so forth. Excellent. And I would imagine to a certain extent it would also be the fact that in a lot of the Western larger economies, farming is something that is done by few. And you usually have to own huge tracts of land to, to make a living. But it seems that when a community such as you just brought up, a CSA, community-supported agriculture, it allows more people to go back to the land and do farming, um, but in an ecological way that's also helping to sequester carbon or clean the air and improve the soil water retention of that sort. So, yeah. So what are some of maybe the challenges that you've faced in localization projects uh, around the world? I think that the biggest challenges, I think, everywhere is that localization projects are, are basically operating in on a very unlevel playing field in in a in a dominant system that are set to squeeze out the small the independent the local and anything that tries to operate within ecological limits are automatically at, at a disadvantage and 
some of the challenges, for example, with the local food, which uh, are often criticized, particularly in the West, for being elitist, because uh, more people, you could say, uh, the middle class and upper middle class can afford it because it's often, the local produce is often more expensive. I mean, that is a challenge, but it's, it's a challenge not brought about by the, for example, local food movement itself, um, export and import no, of produce. So it is inherently cheaper. So you have that and already an unlevel playing field, which is a huge challenge that we cannot solve, you know, within the local food movement without changing those uh, other parameters that make it possible for food, say, from far away to be cheaper, uh, you know, than food from around the corner. So that's a challenge. And obviously, it's also a, a challenge, a lot of laws and regular specific regulations that provide a challenge for, for many types of, of localization initiatives that make it difficult uh, to operate. Also, I think that a lot of this relies heavily on, on volunteer efforts. And as people become more squeezed, uh, both sort of financially and with time, it makes it more difficult. And then there's a whole the political scene where we end up, you know, firefighting on all sides as, as we have a, a increasingly uh, a, a more corporate control economy. All right. So what do you think will help communities to build a more decentralized and circular local economy? Have you seen countries where they have been able to kind of enroll the local government to be more inclusive of a circular local economy? So some of the things that um, one could point to, for example, I don't know if you've heard of uh, the town called Froome in the UK, in the south of the UK. No. They, they developed something called uh, flat pack democracy. Uh, and it, basically, it's a local government. They, they decided to do away with the party politics and have... Uh, wow. have um, yeah, it's, it, uh, it's very interesting. I do uh, recommend everybody to have a look at it as an example of how you can do things. So the local government are, are made up of independent people. People have, have, have so, you know, the community have selected those people and around uh, their agendas they are proposing. And they have managed to, to uh, move ahead with a lot of initiatives that are very beneficial for the local community uh, and having a process of, of di direct democracy. So. That's definitely uh, an example. Maybe it can't be done in everywhere, but it is an example of what can be done and how much you can achieve when you have a, a process of direct um, democracy. I mean, in Denmark and in many other places, we also experimenting with something called citizens' assemblies. You've probably heard. It's a process of, of getting citizens involved or, on different issues and to uh, provide policy recommendations. No? Or, for example, on climate change. So that is also a process of, of direct democracy that, that can be very, very helpful. And, and these citizen assemblies are, are always people are picked at random from different social and economic and educational backgrounds to ensure inclusiveness and diversity. So, so I think that's also a good example and one that can be adopted, you know, 
in addition to existing political systems wherever we are. I think that it's uh, a very good example. I was involved in one and found it extremely interesting. I was, we were asked the question what we thought about meat production and climate change. And I was together with a whole lot of people I would normally probably have, wouldn't have discussed this with. And we actually came to a consensus which would have been impossible if it had been done, you know, uh, under other circumstances. So those are, those, those are just two examples. In terms of, we're talking about lo local food, uh, another, I think, good example there are the uh, food policy councils, which is something that has been spreading in many places. Uh, I know in the US, there are lots of food policy councils. And when they are focused on local and, and inclusiveness and fairness and, um, and healthy food system, they can be hugely helpful because they can help to shape the policy changes that we need to shift towards uh, healthy, inclusive, fair food production on a local level. Yeah, that's great. So um, on that note, what are some of the ways that you and others are enjoying the rewards of the work that you and Local Futures is doing? On a personal level, and uh, well, speaking from personal experience, but I think it's it's very similar to to what I know other people are experiences. I live in a small community where we produce our own food, for example, and have a lot of interaction. So it gives me immense pleasure on a daily basis to be in a place where I know other people, where they respect me for what I am, not what I have. Uh, in a place where I can eat healthy local food, where I, where there's a supportive community, both to enjoy good times together, but also to face harder times, crises. And uh, I think that is the kind of community aspect, the meaningful relationships give a better quality of life for everybody. And also, to be able to operate in a space where you can see the changes of, for example, ecolog ecological restoration, that in itself also gives the kind of, of joy and meaning to life, apart from you know, knowing that we are actually able to do something to, to make things better. Acting on a local level with other people takes you from a place of disempowerment to a place of empowerment. Uh, that's, you know, uh, at Local Futures, one of the things that we are very focused on getting out is the need to resist and renew at the same time. If in order to change things from status quo to in order to have systemic change, we need resistance and renewal. So resisting the dominant corporate economy and renewing on a local level is something that has to go hand in hand. So kind of, uh, in, I'm able to do both because of my kind of international work via Local Futures and the International Alliance for Localization and with my work on a local level. And I think without the work on the local level, I probably wouldn't be uh, or enjoy the well-being that I do no? today. So it's very important to be rooted. Yeah, I could, I could really see where it's also you're walking the talk and you have a unique perspective 
on that note, if your ideas, your experience, and your wisdom were all racked up into seeds of potential action to give to others, what advice would you give to people that want to start building up their local communities? I would say start small and make sure you do something that gives you a sense of success. Don't try to go on your own. Reach out to to like-minded people uh, uh, and try to work together with them because it's so much more rewarding. I always say, uh, well, it not, might not be for everybody, but I do think food is a very good place to start because it's something that we can, uh, you can get a lot of people involved in. Uh, so it could start with, you know, trying to make a communi- community meal with local food and get, getting a few people together to talk about what they would like to focus on. And so important to have other people to do this with, because otherwise the challenges can just be too big. And it has to be fun. That's another thing. If it isn't fun, then people give up if it's sacrificed all the way. So we are aiming to create uh, economics of happiness and, and it shouldn't be all suffering, the process. It should be, a, a, you know, we always say, remember to celebrate, celebrate life and celebrate uh, your successes uh, along the way, even the small ones. So uh, we are actually local futures in the process of setting up and a localization action guide with a lot of uh, examples for what we can do uh, on on a local level to strengthen our communities, to strengthen our economies, to have a more inclusive uh, societies. And uh, this uh, guide will be released um, later in the year, probably in in May or June. And uh, I think it should be a, a really good tool for a lot of people, both individuals and groups, as well as institutions and local businesses. And what website would we be able to access that? What? It will have its own website, but you'll be able to find it on localfutures.org. So is that uh, the same website where we can get involved uh, with your organization as well before that release? Yes, yes. And I, I, I maybe I should mention uh, that, um, you know, we will be hosting uh, the second World Localization Day in the month of June. The day itself is June 21st. And the focus is on celebrating localization around the world and to highlight localization as a strategy for systemic change internationally. And it will involve uh, people from all over the world and we'll hope that many people will take this opportunity to maybe host an event if COVID allows uh, with focus on on localization, celebrating the initiatives and the accomplishments in the area, wherever they are, and and look at what more we can do. But always keeping in mind that we also have to address the the systemic mechanisms that allow a very destructive economy to exist uh, and that uh, strengthens corporate power. So we have to address these things as well at the same time. It's not sufficient only to work on a local level. 
we have to work internationally to make these changes because otherwise we end up in the situation we have been in for many years, which is firefighting. No? We do good and then we something comes uh, comes in to destroy or undermine or marginalize these initiatives. Right. So to get involved in that um, event, uh, will we also go to localfutures.org? Yes, you can go there. There's also a website called World Localization Day. Right now, all it says is that, you know, coming soon. <laughs> well, actually, you can look at, at, at uh, some of the materials from World Localization Day, uh, the first World Localization Day, which was last year, 2020. Great. And, uh, and uh, this year, we will have uh, a bigger program, uh, much more interactive, that will also take place in a lot of on a national level with some of our collaborators in, in other countries. So it should be pretty exciting. And there will be an opportunity for everybody to, to do whatever they would like to do on a local level, from hosting a community meal to having a, a seed fair exchange or, or something else. Excellent. Well, it sounds, it sounds great. I'm looking forward to participating. And um, I really, um, I have to say it was an honor um, to speak with you and I thank you so much for taking the time to to share your work and share the work of Local Futures and um, look forward to our future successes as we grow the local, local economies and um, future happiness movement. Thank you, Jenny. Thanks for joining us for Local Share Green Action. Until next time, Let's all use our unique talents and abilities and take meaningful green local action that benefits the planet and people.